I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Soccer Talk podcast, an exclusive interview with ESPN's Amy Rosenfeld, who is the lead producer for Euro 2020 on the network and a vice president at ESPN, has a wealth of experience in producing soccer tournaments in the past. Amy, thank you for joining us. And uh, this is uh, the first time ESPN has broadcast a summer tournament in five years. I mean, we were so used to you guys doing a tournament every summer from 2003 Women's World Cup all the way through basically 2016 Euros. And if you missed a year, then you had one the next year. So uh, t- take us through what it's been like to kind of recharge this thing after five years, because uh, that is a long period of time, particularly in this business. Yeah, I have to say that that I did not think that would impact me personally as much as it did. You know, there back in the day when we were doing that cadence of Euro and then Confed Cup and Men's World Cup and Women's World Cup, you were on this sort of constant adrenaline rush that you were doing one event, planning the next event, and thinking about the one after that. And there was never any sort of breathing room. In some ways, this has become, in effect, too much breathing room. And I definitely (laughs) felt that, that, you know, it's a lot goes into planning these. And certainly when it was announced that it was going to be in multiple countries over Europe, it took on a whole different level of planning because... Frankly, our emphasis pre-COVID was going to be to have as many announcers in as many stadiums as possible. That was going to be the focus. And indeed, we were going to start group stage in Bristol. And then we had this, this is reminiscent of France, we were going to have this really cool set on a barge on the Thames with the bridge behind us. And... In some ways, we almost overplanned because I think there was so much lead up time that we were like, okay, it's planned, but wait, we still have like another year and a half and we're now like nervously pacing. Let's plan some more. So it's, um, it, 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 it served us well when then, sadly, COVID changed everything because we were very buttoned up a year ago and then the sort of change of plans that year became a very fast paced amount of planning because we knew we had to pivot you know very quickly all the plans had to now change in basically a year's 
lead up. Um, so uh, it, in many ways, it kind of helped us that we were so buttoned up and, and we're, you know, like wall to wall trying to plan a million events. So as a result of that, instead of having the draw of London and the wealth of pundits that, you, that you've used anyway on, on soccer broadcasts and on the FC program, et cetera, from Europe, uh, you have to attract pundits to come to Bristol for a, a month. What was that process like? Because that, that's a complete change in what you've done uh, with recent tournaments. Yeah, well, after I went through like a bottle of Tums, uh, I, <laughs> we got the strength to, what, we made the decision relatively quickly. I mean, I had been, I oversee some, some other sports at, at ESPN and the whole year had been, you know, how do you keep people safe? How do you keep people safe, but then also keep stuff on the air? So we were pretty well-versed and, you know, took a very, very, very conservative approach on safety. So long ago, we, we knew that London was going to be in our rearview mirror and that, you know, we were going to have a significant portion of the production in Bristol. We hadn't yet fully decided what we were doing. This was pretty early on, on the announcers. We kept holding out hope that, you know, maybe it would be okay in Europe. And then it just not only was not okay, it was very much, you know, a horror show. So making those calls to the different folks, because we had deals with a bunch of people and then, you know, basically said, hey, you know, see you in a year. We want to keep the deal in place, see you in a year. But of course they reserved the right, you know, it was with the idea that they were going to be in Europe. And so those calls were very stressful on our side because, you know, you're basically saying, hey, uh, I know you're going to be in London, but now you're going to be in West Hartford, Connecticut. But great news, the hotel's right near a Whole Foods. So won't that be great? <laughs> um, and, you know, it, that was really uh, everybody came back. There wasn't an individual that we had secured, you know, a year ago that said, yeah, you know, no thanks. Uh, I'm just gonna be with a different broadcaster over in Europe. And frankly, some of them were, we were competing with some other broadcasters over in Europe. So I think it really spoke to, there is a component for a lot of these folks, they really want their brands in the United States. There's a lot of soccer now in the United States and a lot of opportunity so for some of these folks, it's important to become, you know, familiar faces, familiar voices for a U.S. audience. And I think there's also, you know, this this element. They're all really, really, really nice people. And I think they're, you know, they knew how badly we felt. And it was about being part of the event, not necessarily where you were covering the event. So that was very rewarding, uh, you know, to have them to a man and woman all say, oh, no, I'm I'm all in. Just let me know how long I have to quarantine before before we go on the app. So you've also brought in Reese Davis, who has a wealth of experience, including soccer, 
uh, over a decade ago, but did Confederations Cup, did Euros, did World Cup for you guys. Uh, Dallin Cuff, who has done soccer previously uh, for NWSL Productions and, and done some Bundesliga stuff, et cetera, for uh, you on the plus side. Uh, these are two kind of general sports guys that have done really, really well uh, so far in this tournament. Yeah, I, well, you know, taking one at a time, you know, Reese is just an incredible broadcaster and can merge, in my opinion, into any sport, but he loves soccer and he did have a history in soccer. And it's important, I think, in these instances to have, you know, Reese is really emblematic of the ESPN brand and having, you know, we always want that. This is where we had the great benefit of, you know, someone like Bob Lee and Mike Tirico. They were, you know, Bob was just ever present at ESPN. Mike was ever present at ESPN. The fact that they loved soccer gave soccer credibility and in turn soccer gave them more credibility with a different audience. So Reese was a really important component of this because it you, you do want someone who is very day in and day out ESPN, but you don't want that across the board. You want to have sort of bringing together diverse voices uh, who come from diverse backgrounds because, frankly, that's the nature of this event and the participants and the audience. So. You know, the Dallin one was easy for me because when we were recruiting Dallin uh, for my other job overseeing ACC Network, Dallin and I had a lot of conversations about soccer. And he very early on said, I want to do Euros. I know you guys have the Euros. I really want to do Euros. And I said, okay, you're doing Euros. (laughs) So, you know, it it was helpful that uh, you know, we did not want people who had zero background in soccer. That that was important to us. And you know, I th- I've been, I think I've been um, pleasantly surprised at how the ta- all of the pundits, the hosts, who in many instances didn't know each other, have gelled. Uh, relatively quickly and uh, I think the diversity of experience of our hosts um, has been an important part of that. Stuart Robson and Ian Dark are, as well as Alexis Nunez also, who's relocated to London for the listeners who don't know that. Uh, she was a favorite of a lot of our listeners when she was in Bristol and people have asked me where is she? Well, she's in London now working for ESPN over there. But um, Dark, Dark and Robson specifically calling matches in person from Wembley, but with them in London, that takes them out of your studio. Is that something you had to uh, pivot and adjust for? Because obviously during uh, Euro 2016, we saw Stuart Robson drop in between games, uh, contribute to, to the studio discussion. Uh, now he's not, you're not able to do that with him. Same thing with Ian Dark. Ian Dark uh, is a presenter, but he's also a really, really good analyst of the sport also. So did that cause uh, any, any problems for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's a loss because they're terrific, as you say, as part of the conversation, not just the commentary of the match. And, you know, that went into our thinking that we were going to need uh, a few more folks because we would not have the benefit of integrating to the degree we would want 
Ian and Stuart. I mean, sure, you can integrate them in remotely, but it, it just isn't, it's, it's not the same as having, you know, what we had in, in Paris where, you know, if people would be calling matches. And in the case of France, even if they weren't in Paris, they were only a few hours away and could swing by. And that sort of drop-in, you know, analyst, pundit, whatever, you know, that, that gave a richness that I do miss. Um, but, you know, this was one, again, where safety had to prevail. Our approach in the beginning of this event was let's keep people in their home countries. So we said all along, Ian and Stuart to start to, for group stage would only do Wembley and then we would use IMG studios to call a few other matches off tube. Uh, so we had the benefit of Ian and Stuart on more matches than just Wembley. That we would keep uh, Alexis in, in London, Archie Rentout would be in Germany, Martine would be in Spain, uh, and that was our approach. Now, Sam Borden, we, we knew we had to have somebody from the U.S. who could be somewhat mobile. And, you know, Sam, who I think has been magnificent, he's the, he was the lone, uh, you know, American to travel over. Now, we're revisiting every day. Now, we're at a different phase of the event, and Europe is in different phases of of safety. We have different phases of people being having been vaccinated. So we're sort of rethinking what would that mean? Is it, can we safely bring more folks over? Likely, yes. Can we move people from country to country? Likely, yes. So this will evolve, but. Yeah, it, it's, it hurts not to have Ian in the studio, Ian and Stuart in the studio on a regular basis because they just add such an element that's been synonymous with ESPN's brand for a long time. So we definitely miss them in that capacity. You've obviously brought in a lot of uh, studio guests, or, or not guests, but, but analysts. Uh, you, and you mentioned some of the people who have uh, joined remotely, Archie Rintut, we've become very familiar with during the Bundesliga season, uh, Martin, et, et cetera. Um, is there a, a point that you get concerned about burnout during the tournament? You produce a lot of these, Amy, in the past. And is there a rotation almost uh, designed so that you can keep everybody as fresh as possible? Because this is a grind. Yeah, that is always a factor. And, and these folks, to a man and woman, are, are grinders and won't ever say. Like, sometimes we are in the position of saving them from themselves because nobody ever says no. And, you know, we have been uh, integrating some of the folks who are doing matches into the studio, whether it's Ollie or Effin or Taylor, um, Mateo. So, you know, they're kind of doing double duty and, you know, we're very cognizant of looking at because they're also doing FC and they're also doing Sports Center. you know, like when the U.S. women's Olympic team is announced, you know, Sports Center wants Julie Foudy. And of course, Julie's going to do it. So we, we have to be careful because the, the days are a grind on Euros. And then you got to feed the beast that is ESPN, whether it's Sports Center, FC digital segments, you know, there's, there's a lot asked of these folks. So yeah, we do try to 
kind of look at the overall grid. And sometimes you're just looking, you know, okay, this guy's done this day, this day, this day. We really like him on this. Like, you know, we want Chris Coleman on Wales. We've been killing Chris Coleman a bit, poor man. Uh, <laughs> you know, we want Chris Coleman on Wales. All right, let's let's back time from that. If we have him on Wales, we really want him the day before. Why don't we give him a day off here? So there is... There is a lot of that um, sort of balance because some of our folks are are doing other things. So it is important to make sure, you know, people are rested. And, oh, by the way, you know, a lot of our production staff, the ramp up here is like, okay, it's a normal day. And now suddenly it's like a 17-hour day. And I found even for myself because – COVID has sort of changed the way we work and there's less travel. I actually had been relatively well rested until I started Euros. I was like, oh, I am so out of practice on 17 hour days. I'm also, you know, 30 years older than I was when I started this, which I'm sure is a factor. So the tournament has taken on this life, uh, obviously, uh, Every tournament swings into into uh, into a different phase. Once you get to week two, and then you get through the group stage, and now you have all, all of these storylines. What's been interesting? You talked about integration. What's been in, really interesting for me watching it is that you've got um, you've got Euro pro programming throughout the day on the linear side, and then you've got uh, soccer people on Sports Center, and it's it's a priority of the network. To, pr- to promote the Euros on Sports Center, You also have some of the same talent you had on the linear side on the FC program each night, and you're getting uh, kind of this vertical integration of, of, of streaming and, and, and linear. Does that also involve a lot of planning, uh, particularly when it comes to personalities and who you place in, in which, uh, which capacity? Yeah, because I think we really are trying to serve the viewer on all of these platforms and you know soccer has proven that it is a really meaningful property for streaming for a digital savvy audience and so you know soccer is a priority for espn plus and and the digital side so we have to yes the matches are important on espn abc but we're also trying to elevate and have, you know, a, a long runway and a bright future for the continued growth on ESPN Plus and, and bring more attention to ESPN FC. I mean, in many ways, you know, it's it sort of ESPN FC at the Euros is what I would sort of think of it. Like, we really want to be looking at that brand and saying that's the soccer brand at ESPN. It isn't the ESPN plus brand, it's the soccer brand. So we want to make sure that people are fresh and available and appropriately positioned on ESPN FC, you know, to, to be able to just continue the conversation. I mean, look, I think if we had the staffing, we'd love to do, you know, three hours and just keep the conversation going. One thing that's interesting about an event that ends at like five o'clock eastern is now you're like okay i'm ready you know i'm out of work you know i'm done with work for the day let's keep the conversation going so that's the 
that's a value of, of FC is to be able to just continue that soccer conversation, you know, as long as possible. Have you um, had any uh, discussions or conversations about the alternate feeds that have been on, on ESPN plus because uh, the feedback I've gotten so far is that people really like those different cams and, and, and uh, angles. And is that something you might at some point integrate into linear coverage? I like the idea. And I think uh, the folks at ESPN who do the programming, I love options. And I think what's become, you know, really important, which it may be, certainly 10 years ago was not as important was this, this idea that you have complementary side-by-side stuff. So we always want to protect, you know, the, the, the match itself and that experience. Like I don't, I don't know. I look at, I look at our streaming numbers and the, you know, the, 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 the aerial camera at the NBA game will have 50,000 people watching that. My guess would be, that they are not exclusively watching that, that that is a supplementary angle to the the game experience. So now you have folks who are used to, you're almost like a a producer and director. There is a familiarity and people are comfortable watching multiple things. That the problem with 3D was you had to be all in or all out, right? You had to have the glasses, you couldn't be you know, trying to look at something else or fold laundry and then look at the screen with your glasses. So it's this idea of complementary and supplementing what is sort of the, the, you know, the full production of the match. But I love, I think to best serve the viewer, you give them as much as you possibly can. Um, so I think whenever, it's not super hard when we're doing a match to be able to give these isolated feeds now that we have this platform that's really robust. Um, I'm, I am curious on the feedback. I know some folks are watching only the, the quad box. I, I am interested in this idea uh, that people can consume that way. For me, it's much more, here's my big experience with the game. And then on my iPad or my other device, I can watch it exclusively, you know, these other angles. When we had Roberto Martinez as part of our coverage, he only wanted to look at high Enzo. He <laughs> wow. wanted the whole match, you know, from what is known as tactical, but it's the high end zone camera. My father used to get mad at me. I would always get these angry phone calls in you know, whatever event I was doing, whatever World Cup or Euros I was doing, he didn't even like when we cut the cameras. He would have been happy to watch an entire match just from the game camera. He found it intrusive and annoying, which I heard about frequently, when we would cut to other cameras. Now you have the ability to make your choice. If my father was still alive, I could set him up with camera one and he could watch it the entire time and then he wouldn't complain anymore. So it's... uh, it's amazing how we now are able to provide those resources to to a viewer, and I think it will only increase. So with with COVID and travel restrictions and everything else that has overcome us with this pandemic the last year and a half, 
UEFA is controlling the cameras. They're producing everything internally at the stadiums and, and also the geography of this tournament, which is a sprawling tournament compared to previous uh summer competitions which have been in one or two host nations uh, and, and you uh, are not on the ground in london or in budapest or munich or wherever uh, how different and difficult has it been how challenging maybe difficult is the wrong term but how challenging has it been to produce this uh, event from connecticut you don't have any control over the stadium cameras and the production on the ground type of thing it, 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 it certainly must must be very different than what you've dealt with in the past well it's it's a blend of different and the same covid would not have impacted our presence in terms of the production of the match the last time i think we augmented a world feed was probably 2010. I'm going to say it was 2010 South Africa, where we had what's known as a unilateral camera, meaning a camera that was only ours. And we were, you know, we could isolate certain things when we wanted to tell a specific story and cut on and off that camera to the world feed. We don't really, we don't do that anymore. So even if there had never been COVID, we would be taking a full world feed. We would not have been, we never augment. I mean, look, they got 40 plus cameras at every match. You'd be hard pressed to figure out anything you could show, any place you could put a camera that they don't already have coverage. Where it's hurting us is, um, I think, not having announcers in all of the stadiums because you know, any announcer will tell you it is significantly better for their ability to properly document the match when they can see everything. You know, in soccer, so much happens behind the play. And for our announcers, they're seeing the same thing you are. They, they could be sitting, you know, in, in your living room and calling the match. Now, we do help them. We give them some isolated cameras so conceivably they can pick up things that are happening behind the play, but it's not perfect. And, you know, depending now, interestingly, in some stadiums, the announcers in the past have been up so high, it's sometimes hard to see. But, you know, that they are, it, it is, it, it is never going to be as great uh, calling something off a monitor as it will be to have people in the building. But, you know, this safety, safety was our priority and I, the drop off of not having them there, you know, it was never, it was never a debate because, you know, uh, a human being's safety is paramount. And so we just said, look, you know, we'll, we'll live with it. It's, it's not really up for discussion. I think the other area, although with the nature of this event being spread out all over Europe, it's a little less so, but it would have been cool to be in London, uh, especially if England were to move on. The fact that the semis in the final are at Wembley, there is a component. This really helped us in South Africa and Brazil. When you were all on the ground there in a country, you really feel a different energy as you produce the event. I felt that I did the 2002 World Cup. 
I was based in Seoul, South Korea. And when South Korea was doing very well, like people would spill out into the streets and just cheer for hours. We would leave our little broom closet, which is what we were using basically, and and experience that. And we could then convey that through our editorial, through our editing, through our storytelling. So it is hard to really feel the event from Connecticut, but that's the, the where we really lean on the Sam Bordens, you know, Archie, Martine, Alexis, Ian, Stewart, the folks that are in country, you know, they they we have to rely on on their ability to convey what it feels like to be on the ground. Last question. Uh, we've seen a few of these matches in this tournament return to ABC, something you hadn't done since 2008. And you got, at the time, an incredible viewership for the final, the Germany-Spain final in 2008 on ABC. Are there any special considerations for you as a producer when a pro- when programming, and this doesn't just apply, I guess, to the Euros, this applies to, to everything, uh, college sports, so- other soccer leagues, etc., uh, when things are shown on ABC or shown on broadcast television versus the cable side? Uh, for this, for, for the soccer, no. I mean, it's a really good question, and I, I'm going to answer it two ways. When you do like the NFL draft, and you're running in parallel, right? So you're, you're sort of doing a production on ESPN and a production on ABC. That will have a different tone and feel because, in essence, you're serving the viewer by saying, if you want, like, the real XO analytics – that's going to be sort of your traditional ESPN show for the draft. If if you want then sort of a different, a little more on the storytelling, a little more human interest, that's going to be the ABC production. But they're doing that because they're not having to make a, a, a choice. Like with, with our Euro matches and our Euro surround programming, we are not taking any different editorial approach. We are not uh, taking this idea that it's a, a, quote, bigger audience, so we have to explain what offside is. We're just not doing that. That It is basically, here's our production. Sometimes you can find it on ESPN. Sometimes you can find it on ABC. We don't really pay attention to catering to a, quote, different audience similar frankly when we do matches when we augment a match for espn versus espn plus we don't say oh this is this is the streaming crowd so we're gonna you know do these things no i mean and that's the way it should be it should we just view these as a different network a different platform for people to consume that content uh, if we if we were doing a simulcast of a game, you know, maybe we would explore that one game would be that quad box, you know, or maybe one game would be the game, and it would and it would be like the high angle and Chris Coleman's narrating. It's kind of like when you do a megacast, uh, but in this instance, when we are exclusively on one or the other. We don't we don't take a different approach uh, because it's we we view it as just here is our coverage of the match. 
And oh, by the way, it's over on ABC. Thank you so much for your time today, Amy. Really fascinating how ESPN is covering Euro 2020. We'll be back next week with a new edition of the World Soccer Talk podcast with Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and myself. We'll, we'll dive into ESPN's coverage of Euro 2020 a little more and Fox's coverage of Copa America. Until next week, enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.